Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. We found a quote from Anthony Renard Fox. Those of you who know French, Renard is Fox. He is an American politician born in 1971, and he was the U.S. Secretary of Transportation from 2013 to 2017. Here's the quote. The reality about transportation is that it's future-oriented. If we're planning for what we have... We're behind the curve. So what are we talking about today? Mobility in any city, what does it do? It moves people and it moves goods. Mobility in a smart city, on the other hand, has what we call a heart. It pays attention to how mobility affects congestion, you know, traffic, air quality, and the traveler's journey experience. A traveler could be a resident, a business person, a tourist, any kind of visitor. So how does a smart city do this? data and technology. That's artificial intelligence, ML machine learning, and more. And these provide a glimpse of mobility now and in the future. Here's a reality check. Transit data, advances in AI and ML, autonomous cars, ride sharing, car sharing, docked and dockless scooter, and bike sharing will all impact the future of mobility. Our topic today is mobility in the city, evolution or revolution. Welcome to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. And I have a panel of three experts from literally all over the world who are going to help us figure this out. So let me tell you who they are briefly, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. First up in a moment, you will meet Isha Lambrechts. Let me spell his last name, L-A-M-B-R-E-C-H-T-S. He is Mobility Advisor for BECI. That's the Alliance of Brussels Enterprises and Brussels Chamber of Commerce. And when he speaks to me in a minute, he'll tell me how to pronounce BECI because I know there's a way to say it. Joining him on the panel is Rob Romers, R-O-E-M-E-R-S, if you want to look him up. He is in charge of data analytics for the Brussels Public Transport Operator, S-T-I-B-M-I-V-B. And he's going to tell me if there's a magical way to pronounce that. And rounding out the panel is one of my colleagues at SAP, Senta Belay. He spells his last name B-E-L-A-Y. He is with the Global Industry Business Unit for Travel and Transportation Industry at SAP. Gentlemen, welcome to Game Changers Radio. And now we're going to move around the table to Isha, who has sent us a quote from David Allen. And David Allen wrote, Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. It's a very popular book. And uh, just let me read a little bit here. He demonstrates stress reduction from a method with the following, the book with the following exercise, centered on something that has entered your life with an unclear outcome, and you don't know what the next action is going to be. So he says, pick an incomplete what most annoys, distracts, or interests you? Write down a description of the successful outcome in one sentence. What is your definition of done or complete? Write down the next action and notice how you feel compared to before you did the exercise. I thought that was fascinating. Here's the quote, David Allen, as we're quoting him from Isha. At any point in time, knowing what has to get done and when creates a terrain for maneuvering. Isha Lambrex, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me on the show, Bonnie. I'm very well. Thank you. 
Delighted to have you. First of all, we have to straighten out some housekeeping here. B-E-C-I, how am I supposed to say it, Isha? Well, very simply, actually. It's just a BESI. So it are the four letters uh, BESI. And it stands for the Brussels. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It stands for Brussels Enterprise, Commerce and Industry. Thank you very much. It sounds a little bit like kiss, Bessé. I'm sorry, in French. <laughs> Just reminded me. Bessie, I can remember that. I love the quote from David Allen, and I was so pleased that you introduced me to his information in The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. I think it's very innovative. So tell me, why did you pick this quote today, Isha? We're talking, obviously, about city, mobility, evolution of revolution. So talk to me for two minutes and tell me why the quote is relevant, please. Well, the, the, as you said, the book is very popular and already exists for uh, a couple of years, but it, uh, the quote uh, is actually still relevant today. Uh, congestion in any major city or in every uh, metropolitan region uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a big issue. And uh, for a long time, uh, we have been busy with uh, making an analysis uh, about the issue. We have been making calculations, uh, even writing uh, position papers after position papers on how we would like to uh, have mobility evolve in uh, in a city, but at a certain moment, uh, you know the numbers, you know the issue, uh, you know what who has changed, but you also need to be active on the terrain. You need to make the change happen, and that's what the uh, what the uh, quote is all about uh, at any point in time. And that is uh, today. The moment is now. Uh, we need to be active on the terrain to uh, attack those uh, congestion issues and to make uh, uh, mobility free again. So. It's, um, and that is actually what we are trying to do here in, in, in Brussels with, uh, with BASI from the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I see it a bit as our uh, societal role uh, to bring uh, people together to attack the uh, mobility issue because that is the key word here. Um, the terrain for maneuvering uh, only uh, happens when you bring people around the table and work uh, together for a common goal, which is uh, making urban mobility uh, free again. Thank you, Isha. Great intro to our topic. I have a quick question for you on our topic. Is it evolution or revolution? Just a yes or no, because I'm going to be polling the other panelists as well. Mobility in the city, is it evolving or is it our revolution? The technology uh, is revolution, but it will happen slowly, which makes it evolution. Thank you. Very well done, Isha. Welcome to Game Changers. And now I'm going to go a little bit around the table to our second panelist. By the way, all three panelists are new to the show. Rob Romers at Brussels Public Transport Operator, STIB-MIVB. That's a lot of letters. And he has sent us a quote from Margaret Mead. She lived from 1901 to 1978, an American cultural anthropologist, author, and speaker in the mass media from the 1960s and 70s. She earned her bachelor's degree at Barnard College in New York and her advanced degrees from Columbia University and she was a very interesting lady who reported about the attitudes towards SEX in the South Pacific and Southeastern Asian traditional cultures. Interesting lady. So here is the quote that Rob has selected from Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Rob Romers, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you, Rob? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Talk to me. Is this a favorite quote of yours? It sounds like it applies to almost everything, but how does it work for our topic today? Um, It works twofold, uh, in my opinion. You can um, 
on one hand see that mobility is changing in the city because travelers are changing uh, their habits. Like we saw in Brussels, we had hardly any bicycles uh, or cyclists uh, a couple of years ago, and you saw some very militant uh, people starting to use bicycles, which caused the government to take notice and start putting in more cycling lanes and uh, increasing uh, traffic safety for them. But on the other hand, it also works from a top-down perspective where, uh, as uh, Isha said, uh, they are uh, representing the private sector. We are more the public sector. Um, it also takes trust and it takes time to, to work from that mm-hmm. side. And there, there we see the same approach. You really need to build uh, a circle of trust with a certain amount of people and then move, uh, move ahead into uh, the changing times. Rob, what's interesting to me about this quote is it says a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens. You mentioned the word trust, which, of course, is paramount in achieving anything today. You have to trust the people with whom you're collaborating and trust that things will get done somehow. But, for example, uh, you and Isha are talking about Brussels particularly, so we might have some great case studies on the show today. Who is this small group of thoughtful, committed citizens? Where do they come from? Is this somebody wakes up one morning and says, yeah, you know, we really have to do something about mobility in our city, not work it out too well. Where does it come from? Um, well, actually, mobility is really one of the big topics in, in Brussels, both in, in politics and in business, because we have ah. uh, so many cars and so much congestion that uh, there was a study by Ernst & Young done last week that uh, uh, appeared in one of our, most of our major newspapers where we saying Brussels is actually losing um, investment from, from both foreign and local uh, business because traffic is, is, is such a big problem. You can't attract talent anymore because talent doesn't want to drive into the city anymore. So it, it comes from different, from different angles, I think. For me personally, it bothered me that my friends would say uh, we'd rather not come have dinner in Brussels because traffic mm-hmm. is such a mess. Um, that's my personal commitment, why I want to work on traffic. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's like you say, you really have to start with a couple of people and then, then grow from there. Especially with all the new technology coming in where nobody's really sure what the future is bringing. You have to trust each other and uh, have each other's back, even if you're uh, across public and, and private companies, I think. Thank you, Rob. After people hear you on the show, they're all going to want to come and have dinner with you. I'm positive. (laughs) Rob, you're talking about the life I gave up nine months ago. I was on Long Island in New York for the past 35 years. I grew up three miles from where I was living on Long Island. And talk about traffic. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Long Island Expressway. It's uh, it's Major Road 495 on Long Island. It goes east-west from uh, from Queens, from the city, and it goes all the way out to Long Island, and it has been called the world's largest parking lot. Does that give you a clue how bad it is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so you and I understand each other. Thank you very much. Looking forward to more insights from you, and we'll have to set up a dinner. I know Marlon Zelkowitz, uh, who works with Senta, is listening, and Marlon will organize a dinner in Brussels. We're all going. Okay, plan the menu. Senta Balai, Global Industry Business Unit for Travel and Transportation at SAP, has sent me a quote from Winston Churchill. We love Winston Churchill quotes. Winston Churchill, uh, Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill, was a British politician, army author, officer and writer, Prime Minister of the UK from 1940 to 45, and again from 51 to 55. He's considered one of the 20th century's most significant figures. Very interesting. I won't say any more. You can look him up if you're too young to remember. There was a movie recently I saw. I think it was called The Darkest Hour that was about all about Churchill. Very interesting movie. Here's the quote. It is always wise to look ahead, but difficult to look further than you can see. Senta Balai, welcome to the show. How are you? 
Thank you very much, Pony, for having me. Really good. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. I love the quote, and it seems like it's a little bit of a riddle. You can't see further than you can see. Okay, we can only see as far as we can see. Talk to me about how that works with, we're talking about mobility, evolution, revolution, the city, all of the new digital tools, artificial intelligence, machine learning. So are they going to help us see farther than we can see? Talk to me, Santa. Yes, yes, yes. And actually, I got this thought uh, in a very interesting place. You know, I was reading this book uh, in, in one of my book reading sessions, like The Hundred Year Life. And there's a professor uh, by the name of Linda and Andrew. They, they do the management, uh, they are management professors at LBS. And they were writing about how the future of work will evolve and how economics of people and, and, and dynamics of cities will actually influence how people work and work transitions from uh, study, work, retirement type of a linear approach into some type mm-hmm. of a different approach where people actually transition from one place to another. Then when I saw this quote, I said, wait a minute, this is applicable for us in the mobility world as well. We had the, the golden years of, of the rail and, and, and mass transit and then the, the, the world changed in terms of different regions where automobile become the king and in some areas transit become more powerful and very equitable. And now in Asia, there's a lot of differences in terms of how mobility is evolving. And then being in Palo Alto, you see a lot of hype in terms of, you know, there's a famous quote like, we, 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 where is the promised flying cars? And then we got the Twitter, uh, 144, uh, uh, 144 um, uh, tweets instead of a flying car from Peter Thiel. Mm-hmm. So what I see in mobility is it's kind of slowly evolving and getting better and, and transitioning slowly where equitability and sharing of modes is becoming paramount versus a, a quick revolution, as, as you mentioned. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit of a learning and, 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 and changing the way we behave, the way we act in terms of moving in the cities, but at the same time making sure that the existing infrastructure, the existing mass transit and mobility works with the new ones like the ride share and so on. So it's kind of an evolution, but depending on where in the, in, in the world you are, it's a slightly different approach of how mobility is evolving. So that's why I said, you know, Winston Churchill said, look ahead to a certain extent in terms mm-hmm. of where you are and where you want to be. But don't promise a flying car right now. So that's the idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know. Thank you. Thank you, Santa. I I don't know if anybody in this panel is old enough to remember actually watching The Jetsons, which was a futuristic cartoon. It was, uh, I think, I'm thinking of Fred Flintstone, but it was George Jensen. That's right. George George Jetson. George Jensen was a jazz musician. George Jetson and his family, and they flew around in a little spaceship that looked like a car, and it went everywhere they wanted them to go. And uh, yes, I think people are using that as a kind of a metaphor for the future of transportation because who knows it might actually come i have to mention to the three of you that we have another game changers radio series among our i think we're up to 37 different series right now called the future of cars with game changers and we contemplate this topic very often obviously on that series talking about the evolution of vehicles of the mobility of the self-driving of the in the addition of so much media to the car, the car being an experience itself. So I'm, I'm very happy to be discussing this from the context 
of the smart city. So we're going to go around the table now. We have a little icebreaker segment called What's in Your Cup Today? But I'm going to ask each of you first where you are in the world right now. And I don't need the Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or the number on your office door. But Rob, we want to know where to go for dinner. So you'll have to keep us informed on the address. Uh, so Isha Lambrex, where are you today? And we'd love to know what's the drink that makes you happiest in the whole wide world. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be in front of you right now, and it can be an alcoholic beverage. So go ahead, Isha, talk to me. Well, uh, at the moment, I'm uh, here at the Chambers of Commerce of Brussels. So I'm in my, uh, I'm in my bureau here in, here in Brussels. I'm looking at uh, uh, out of the uh, window right now at uh, one of the biggest uh, shopping streets in, in Brussels. So it's a very nice, uh, very nice view. Uh, what do I have in my cup? Well, it's, maybe it's going to sound a bit boring, but it's actually uh, black coffee. Uh, I like it. Uh, I like uh, black coffee a lot. It's, uh, and, and why? And why is that? It's because it's uh, it's very straightforward. It's it's a very honest. Uh, it's a very honest drink. There is no there is no sugar coating. It's uh, the taste mm-hmm. of uh, of a freshly made coffee. It's uh, it's a very raw and a very honest um, uh, taste. And uh, it's also something that I uh, uh, I think fits my personality. It's uh, I also I, I am a morning person. I wake up uh, every morning, uh, not for the weekends, but uh, during uh, weekdays uh, at 4 a.m. to uh, to exercise. Uh, and the first thing I do is have a is have a cup of coffee, and which uh, uh, gives me the message: okay, uh, you need to get going today. Have a very nice day, and and go for it. Uh, that's uh, that's what I like about it. Thank you. I'm, I'm smiling because I have not heard that explanation or that description of coffee in a long, long time, and I really appreciate that. Quick question. Do you have a favorite style or, shall we say, intensity or a favorite brand of coffee? Do you brew it from beans or from a little pod machine like an espresso or, or a Keurig, or how do you do your coffee? Just quickly. Uh, well, basically, it is just uh, regular coffee. But uh, last year, I was in the United States. It was actually in uh, in Provincetown, uh, and uh, there, for the first time, I had a, a, a cup of coffee with a blend of uh, all kinds of nuts, and that was very, very, very special. Mm, good. I have to look for that. Thank you very much, Isha. Good to get to know you a little bit. And in one sentence, what do you do as the mobility advisor for Bessie? Uh, what we do here is uh, we defend the uh, the interest of the Brussels business community in in the whole uh, debate. Uh, so often the uh, mobility issue, uh, we often uh, talk about it in uh, in ways where uh, people are opposed. It's it's like commuters uh, against the inhabitants, the car against the uh, cyclists. And so on and so on. Uh, but we, what we are here trying to do is to make sure that uh, the the interest of the business community is in the interest of the community as a whole. Um, so um, in the debate, um, we, we we try to defend the interest of uh, of the uh, of the Brussels businesses. Thank you very much. Nice to know you. And Rob Romers, you're up next. Rob, where are you? A little birdie told me I think you're in Brussels today because I'm looking at the area code on the phone number. What do you love to drink? And tell us a little bit about what is S-T-I-B-M-I-V-B. And am I saying it right, Rob? I think none of us can say it right. Um, <laughs> Too <sorry. laughs> 
We actually in Brussels we call it STIP, which is uh, the first uh, acronym that uh, that we use. Um, it's actually because Brussels is a bilingual city. It's the uh, Brussels transport company in both languages. That's why we have such long uh, abbreviations there. Um, I'm definitely in Brussels, like you said. I'm in the historic center uh, right now. I'm looking out at some really nice uh, historical buildings. So just as uh, Isha, I'm having a a really nice view here. Um, and because here, due to the time zone, it's actually the start of the weekend, I picked mm-hmm. uh, a nice, fresh uh, Belgian beer uh, as my uh, beverage. Mm, does it and have a actually name? One of, does a beer have a name? Um, it's, called, it's called Stella. Um, it used to be a very nice local microbrew, but now it's actually one of the large, uh, larger beers in, uh, uh, in the world, actually. Okay, and tell me, what do you do at STIB? Now I feel better, I can say it that way. (laughs) Um, I'm responsible for uh, data and analytics, so basically all the trips that the people take, all the machines, all the equipment that we have available uh, our network, and we are the operator of public transport in Brussels, so that means we have a metro network, we have a bus network, we have a tram network, um, we have um, a small car sharing uh, solution and a small bike sharing duct, uh, bike sharing uh, solution. Basically, I'm responsible for setting up the data streams across the company and helping the business to analyze the data to be more sustainable and efficient. Very interesting. Tell me something. When you said Stella, was that Stella Artois? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's actually brewed quite close to here from uh, in the city of Leuven, and we have a lot of Belgian beers. Actually, it's a funny anecdote, one of the reasons why we have so many beers in Belgium, it's actually really uh, a smart city solution already from uh, two, three hundred uh, years ago. The water in the cities was not very potable uh, at the time, so Belgian brewers started to make very low alcohol um, beers that could be drank at any time instead of water, uh, because that, that way, because you had to boil uh, the water to get the beer, it was actually potable and you wouldn't get any diseases. Very interesting. And I'm looking here at an article about Stella, and I'm looking at about, uh, there's a beer called Jupiler, J-U-P-I-L-E-R, mm-hmm. a Pilsner, and they're both owned by Anheuser-Busch, and this is an article in, believe it or not, I think it's the Wall Street Journal from 2015, where a bar owner, a beer, a bar owner says he doesn't serve Stella anymore because there's not enough demand, and it's been replaced with this other beer. Uh, Stella is still mm-hmm. number three lager in Belgium. Are you aware of that? Yes, actually, um, they, uh, there was a huge consolidation in the beer market in, uh, in Belgium. We had, like I said, we had these really nice local microbreweries uh, in the past that have consolidated into Anheuser, uh, Busch, and uh, Imbef, uh, joining uh, forces together. So now they're, the really good thing about it is you have Belgian beers all over the world now. I know, and Stella Artois has some really provocative uh, TV ads here. And by the way, it was mentioned in the movie with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway, The Intern, a 2015 comedy produced by Warner Brothers. So the beer was got a place of fame there. Thank you very much. I feel like a beer right now. And now let's turn to Senta Balai. Senta, where are you today, and what do you love to drink the most, and what do you do in the Global Industry Business Unit for Travel and Transportation at SAP? Senta. Yep. Uh, hi, Tony. So um, right now I am in San Francisco. I'm in my home office and uh, literally I am overlooking the bay, as in the bay area towards the north. I see the Elephant Islands and maybe a little bit of uh, Alcatraz. So really good view that I have right now. Uh, what I do, oh, the coffee first. I think on this one, though I will definitely support Stella from Rob, but I'll go for the coffee because I am having coffee early morning here. 
Uh, I'm from Ethiopia originally, and I have this favorite coffee called Tomoka coffee. So whenever I go there, I bring it. It's like a small mom and pop shop. They 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 they, they roast and they cook their own. They they ground their own coffee. I bring it there. I bring it from there whenever I go there, and I make my own coffee at home with a little bit of milk, no sugar. Really beautiful. But since I'm out of the Tomoka coffee, I'm sticking with the second best one, which is the Lavaza. It's really good as well. So perfectly done. What I do in SAP is, uh, you know, uh, from a transit and transportation perspective, we have uh, basically supporting the processes that involve managing the company as in an enterprise level, as well as managing the operations and then the customer aspects as in what's happening from a ticketing perspective, what's happening from the enterprise perspective. So I do the entire vertical solution management from the suite of applications that we have for SAP, but always targeted to the travel and passenger rail industry. I'm in a Thank global you. role and yeah, trying to travel as much as possible. And and what are your thoughts? I don't know if I asked you evolution or revolution. I think you mentioned that it's coming along at a certain pace. Do you see do you see uh, the whole concept of mobility in the city feeling the revolutionary urge or insight or push or energy because of what's happening, for example, in autonomous vehicles? Do you think this is an exciting thing? Everybody says, wow, we're going to clean up our roads. We won't have any more traffic, and these autonomous vehicles will give us the time, the leisure, the opportunity to do our work in the back of the car, and ideally we'll be safe and we'll get there ahead of schedule. Do you think that's an excitement that would drive anybody to say there is a revolution, Senta? Yes, but I will stick with the evolution, actually, because uh, those are incremental. Like, you don't know whether it's Uber, the car sharing companies that are going to come up first with the autonomous stuff, or the electric car companies, or the existing automobiles. But at the same time, yesterday, for example, the Boring Company had the first largest deal ever with Chicago, and they signed up to do a 17-mile underground transportation with, with the skates. So... Revolution is a bit scary for me because I think we are not ready. So I'll stick with the evolution right now because it's slowly going in the right direction. Thank you very much. I think my panelists deserve a break. We're going to take a quick 90-second break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future Radio. Our topic today is mobility in the city, evolution or revolution, and I think the votes are in. I think we're going on the evolutionary side. If you have something to say about it, you can tweet to us at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O, S-A-P Radio, and let us know what you think. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and by the way, gentlemen, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, so I can't drink coffee today. So I'm having a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water in my home office in my new home in Durham, North Carolina, and I'm looking out at a beautiful sunny day here on Friday, whatever the day is. So we're going to take a break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back. Matt out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly city and local government leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as increased citizen and business demands for digital services, a growing variety of digital devices and sensors causing a data deluge, and increased volatility in politics and environment, coupled with constrained resources. Join our experts as they analyze 
analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-changing smart cities of the future is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future. Welcome back. You're listening to Game Changing Smart Cities with the Future Radio. We're talking about mobility in the city, which becomes even more and more of a compelling topic because surveys to situations, reports by the United Nations recently have said that a bigger and bigger population around the world will gravitate towards cities. It's a fact. We want to go to hubs. We want to be together for some reason. So mobility becomes even more important. I'm speaking with three experts on this topic, Isha Lam from Bessie, B-E-C-I in Brussels, Rob Romers at STIB, S-T-I-B-M-I-V-B, with a dash in the middle, also in Brussels, and Santa Belay, one of my colleagues at SAP, working on travel and transportation. We're going to start the roundtable in earnest with a statement from Isha Lambrex. Let me read a little bit from this, Isha, and then you'll run with it, and we'll go around the table and see what your other panelists have to say. So Isha says, data is the fuel of the mobility of the future as it helps to improve structures and systems. Data contains useful information like the weather conditions, speed of the cars, acceleration, deceleration, and community events. Through this, live data traffic maps are created, which enable road technicians to monitor the traffic. Sounds almost futuristic to me, but I know it's happening. Isha, tell us more, please. Yeah, it uh, it actually comes down to uh, the idea that uh, data is able to uh, create a, a new kind of ecosystem where uh, mobility services uh, will be uh, will be connected in the future. So, in the past, where uh, mobility was often uh, seen and defined as just a, a way of uh, being transported, so all we took public transportation, all we took the car, all we took uh, a bicycle. Uh, Today, with the data that do exist, we are able to uh, connect all means of transportation and evolve towards a uh, mobility uh, mobility as a service where uh, all means of transportation are uh, integrated in one another and uh, where we will be able to uh, not only make choices where we decide, okay, I, want, I, I start here at point A and I want to go to uh, point B, uh, but we also will be able to uh, choose uh, the, the mean of transportation that suits us uh, the best also in a way that uh, is most uh, comfortable. Um, and uh, 
uh, that is a way on, on, on how to use uh, those data. The, the problem today is that all the data are very divided, uh, so uh, we still uh, do not uh, connect all the data that do exist, so it makes a real mobility as a service um, difficult, uh, but I believe we are uh, evolving uh, towards such a situation. Thank you very much, Isha. Great start to this part of our roundtable. Rob Romers, love to get your thoughts on this. Talk to us. Well, I definitely think uh, Isha is right. Data is going to be uh, the new fuel. We have a lot of data uh, available within uh, our company, obviously. Uh, and we're also seeing the benefits there of using these new technologies like machine learning and even just basic uh, BI is really helping us out a lot to be more uh, efficient uh, and to be more sustainable. But I notice within our uh, company, but also within the newer uh, players that are coming in the market, everybody's really looking to the inside and nobody's really sharing the data and looking at, um, like we keep saying, a mobility as a service application where we can really help people. Because for me, the the problem comes in is that people are, are creatures of habit. Like, mm-hmm. If you know yourself, you know the world. We're a little bit lazy. Um, so I think we can really help people make more um, more rational choices, more more better choices uh, in mobility. If we really help them by say by saying you could take a bicycle up to a certain point and then switch to a metro and maybe take a share car after that. If you have to look up the whole thing yourself, it's too much work. And it works really well in people that commute or that have found a good way and that are sticking to it. But once you go out of that habit, then it becomes really hard to uh, to make a good mobility choice, and you kind of default back to your car. At least that's what I do. So I don't speak for everybody in Brussels, but there's still a lot of people uh, driving their car. So I think there's something there. And it's a discussion that we had in the beginning. Trust is important because at some point we're going to have to open up. And who's going to open up first? And are you going to be the only one that opened up and all the other ones are just going to use your data? Or is everybody going to follow? So it's it's, it's back to my quote with that small group of concerned uh, citizens that, that, that have to get together. Yes, thank you. Good insights added to what Isha started. Santa Balai, love to get your thoughts on the topic Isha introduced to us, please. Yep, um, it's, uh, the challenge that I see is uh, in each city that you go to, in, in each region that you go to, there are different operators, uh, and operators are also evolving as in private operators, like the Ubers and the Lyfts, working with the transit companies, with the bus companies, but... Uh, at the end, it's the end traveler, the, the, which either is like living there or traveling for a short time, which needs to get from A to B, whichever the means of transport is. So mobility as a service is in that sense, but the way and the level of each individual operator, whether it's a public operator or a private operator, sharing information so that the end consumer can choose between an Uber versus a taxi versus a, a, a bus or a train is still not seamless enough. So there's always a challenge of... Let's get together, whichever type of uh, divide of operations that we are doing, let's get together with the, with the public authority that actually governs the city and make sure like, it's the end traveler that's, fulfilled, that's fulfilling his end-to-end travel needs. So that is still way in the future. But I see in some regions some advances, for example, in Nanjing, the, the government took charge in terms of where things are happening and ensuring, but still operationally is still siloed. So I see a lot of uh, silos still existing, but it was going into the right direction. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm experiencing. Thank you, Santa. Isha, you want to wrap this one up briefly? Anything you'd like to add to what your co-panelists just shared? 
No, I, I agree with uh, with uh, the the problem that uh, that they mention. Uh, that there are still a lot of uh, challenges uh, to uh, to um, to attack, basically. But I, I think the Technology-wise, uh, it is possible. The technology is there, uh, but to put all the data together, it is more a uh, it's more an issue of trust than an issue of uh, uh, technology today. Thank you very much. And let's do a segue into some statements here from Rob Romers. Rob, I just want to call out one thing you sent me, but I don't want to talk about it in detail. I have another goal here. You say, for Brussels, one of the large mobility issues is people driving their cars solo, meaning one person per car. In New York, we have what they call the HOV lane. That's called high occupancy vehicle. It's usually, for example, on, on 495, the Long Island Expressway I mentioned before. It's the left lane. It's closer to the median that separates the east and west lanes. And you you have to have at least two people in the car. Does Brussels have anything like that, Rob? The bus lane. Um, so we, we we don't actually have that because the the problem in the city is because we're in a historic city. Most of the streets are actually fairly small, so it's very ah. hard to put in lanes like that. But we do have uh, we made space for bicycles, we made space for um, the buses, and we may have uh, dedicated um, lines for uh, trams, for example, as well, because trams used to share. Uh, lots of times used to share um, the the position of the car or the the same uh, road uh-huh, as the car same lane. Uh, where mm-hmm. they get their own. And the other trend we're seeing here, and then I know you don't want to go into detail, uh, no, is that ahead. we're actually taking away street parking uh, instead uh, of uh, cutting into the lanes. So we're actually trying to expand the um, the roads that way. Interesting, interesting. Where I came from on Long Island, they had something called street calming initiatives where they hired consultants to put in roundabouts where you had to go in a circle in order to get from one part of the road to the other just to make people slow down. I'm going to leave it at that. Here's where I'd like to go, Rob. You say data is great but it should not be the end goal. It's data that supports actionable insights and initiatives that can really change the game. And here's where I want to go. You say human-machine interactions are key in this respect. What are we talking about here in terms of mobility? Rob? I'm talking about um, kind of the point that Santa was bringing in, saying you have to choose an Uber versus a taxi. You have to choose a car versus uh, public transport. I don't think it's a versus. I think it's an ad. But you need to help people because at that point when you want to make a trip, and we shouldn't talk about, in the past we always talked about, I'm taking the train to come see you. Now, I think we just say in the future, I'm coming to see you. And you may take a bike, a train, (laughs) a metro, and a car. It doesn't matter which mode of transport you choose. But if you want to do that today, I don't know if you've tried, you're going to have five, six apps, three or four websites that you have to look at. And it it gets really Mm -hmm. complicated. And I'm not even talking about paying for all that, just getting the information. I think there the data is going to be important in the future, but the relevant data. And when we talk about data lakes right now and shared open data platforms in the city, it's always dump this massive amount of data in a big central pot, and then we'll throw some AI on top of that, and all the problems will solve themselves automatically. I don't think that is the solution for the future. And that's where the the machine-human interaction uh, will be important. We definitely need that machine learning and that AI to prepare Uh, that data for us to help us make informed decisions, but it's not the end goal. Thank you. You know, we use the term data lakes frequently on our shows, and I don't think I've ever asked anybody to define that. So I'm looking at a, uh, it's not Wikipedia, it's actually on 
TechTarget.com. A data lake is a storage repository that holds a vast amount of raw data in its native format until it is needed. And they show an image of a lake. It's called a data lake. It looks like a basin or a sink. And it has on the top machine learning, which looks like a brain symbol, machine learning pointing down and analytics pointing down. Is that accurate to what you're referencing, Rob? Yeah, and it's exactly the problem uh, that uh, that I bring up a lot when I, when we talk about data uh, public transport. We have a lot of data, and you have really nice algorithms in machine learning, but they're actually not very smart. And running the machine learning is not very hard. It's basically execute machine learning uh, script, and it will do some statistics and some calculations. The work in the interpretation, and that is something that the machines cannot do yet for the moment. So the mm-hmm. most vendors and most people that talk about data lakes uh, for cities or for smart cities are basically just saying dump all this data together and then magically profit or solutions will come out. And that's not what we are seeing in our day-to-day job where we have a fairly fast um, amount of data available and we're doing these analysis. You need to go back to the people that really understand uh, their job that really understand how the data was generated, that understand the quality and the technical uh, specifics of the data, and then you can implement something on top of that. But you really have to understand it first. Thank you. Great insights, and thanks for helping me with that definition. I thought it was time to level set. Senta Balai, love to get your thoughts on what we talked about. Data is great, but should not be the end goal, the topic we just started with Rob. Go ahead, Senta. Yep. Uh, so... Um Again, like going back to the Nanjing case, because I was I was living in Shanghai for six years, and I actually went to the Nanjing control place where they have a huge screen monitoring everything that's happening from the city perspective, and we were helping them out. So what happened was knowing where each taxi is going and pinging it every 30 seconds kind of provides you one step at a time about, like, let's say, the status of the situation. But then when you go back in time, you see the trends that are happening in the mornings, in the afternoons, and the evenings. Just by pulling a certain amount of moving assets within the city, it gives you an insight in terms of what's going to happen in the near future. So from a data perspective, this one single point kind of gives you a lot of insights. But then again, when you add transit, when you add the, the customer's behavior, the tap-in and tap-out data and all those things, it gives you a much more insight in terms of what's happening with the people's behavior in terms of travel, how the, the city's moving in terms of the moving assets, and, and a lot of other things. So data should be correlated into the end goal. Are we trying to reduce congestion? Are we trying to enhance the, the, the connectivity of the people? Are we trying to do some specific uh, aspect of what we are going to do versus just crunching for taxi information's sake or just crunching for the public transit space. So we need to figure out what is the end result and work towards that. So yeah, it's a lot of things happening in this space. And I think the example that uh, Bob uh, Rob gave is very close as, as to what we are experiencing in other places as well. Thank you very much. Isha, we didn't forget you. We're coming around the table. So talk to me. What do you think about this topic? Data is great, but should not be your end goal. Isha Lambrex. Well, yes, indeed. It, uh, I don't think it will be a surprise, but uh, I agree with what uh, the two others said. It's um, uh, Having a data lake, it's, it's, it's one thing, but uh, uh, it, it's not the end goal. Of course, everybody today uh, talk about uh, big data as it is some, some kind of buzzword, uh, but it's not just about having a data lake and, and having the data, but of course, the key is how, to, how are you using uh, those uh, data. And um, you need to... You need to uh, 
make a uh, make a situation where you are integrating the different kind of data that you possess. Uh, in, in that way, you can um, uh, create new mobility solutions and uh, even uh, help urban planners uh, understand, uh, for example, the movement of, of commuters and uh, of civilians uh, in a way that you can also uh, reshape the infrastructure of, of the city. Uh, so, for example, if you are able to see how uh, people are moving in a certain area and you, you, uh, you are analyzing uh, how they are coming, uh, how many time they are spending in a certain area, uh, maybe if there, if there is some kind of event, maybe they use a different type of transportation than uh, they traditionally do. If you put all those uh, things together and, and you, you, you connect them, uh, of course, then you are uh, making a situation clear and, uh, um, and you are uh, indeed working on, on a new mobility uh, solution. So, indeed, just having data, it's not, an, it's not a goal itself, but it's a mean uh, to uh, create the, uh, the solution. Thank you very much. Rob, do you want to wrap this up quickly? Because I have a couple of interesting things I want to pull up from Senta's list of topics. Go ahead, Rob. Wrap up. Yeah, I think everything has been said. It's not only about the data. It's about asking the right questions. Um, and the data needs to be there to, to do the analysis. If you want to have a really nice uh, example for uh, for us, we uh, have mobility ramps in all of our buses. So to allow people with wheelchairs to get in and out of the mm-hmm. vehicles. Um, yep. We were looking at the data from a very operational perspective. Does the equipment work, yes or no? Um, but we shared it with uh, the region, the, um, the capital region of Brussels. We could actually show them where the mobility ramp is being used. Not only does it show uh, where it's used and if it's actually working, but you can also link to, for example, are the sidewalks accessible? Because you see whole zones in mm-hmm. Brussels where nobody ever uses the mobility ramp. It's not that there's yeah. no people with wheelchairs living in those areas of the city. So it's, it's about, I think it's about the questions and the hypotheses that you put in. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to do a sidebar here very quickly. Uh, I have friends in the taxi industry in New York, and I believe one of the rules that's coming down is that after a certain number of years, when a medallion owner has to replace their vehicle, they have to, at a certain point, if they have two medallions or licenses, one of them has to become a handicapped access van type of vehicle. And there is some pushback by the driver saying it will take more time to pick up somebody in a wheelchair. It will take them off the street for more time, loading, unloading, discussing how do we do this. So talking about that small group of committed citizens who want to make things happen, I, I think that those citizens need to come together and, and convince the people who would be doing the conveyance that it's for the good of the city. Rob, any quick comment on that? It's actually one of the services that we uh, offer also. We have a little Uber-like uh, service with um, uh, mm-hmm. mobili- uh, reduced mobility vans. And then the taxis in Brussels actually only cater to people that have uh, mobilities but are, for example, uh, visually impaired or, or deaf or something like that. So we, we do cater to, uh, to that problem here also. Thank you very much. Let's move to Santa's list. Santa, I have some some interesting things here. First of all, you're talking about Hyperloop, flying cars, autonomous cars are all getting large investment allocations. It's not a matter of if it will happen. It's more a question of when. That's one thing I want you to talk about. And the other is you're talking about business model changes, account-based ticketing in the transit industry, which you say is in its infancy. Can you combine those for me, Santa? Yeah. 
Yes, yes, I can. So the first part, actually, Chicago, when Rahm Emanuel yesterday was uh, with Elon Musk and they announced a $1 billion tunnel from the airport to downtown, I think it was mm-hmm. around 17 miles. And I was like, wow, okay, the boring company is going faster in terms of actually boring the, the tunnels. And most probably they are going to have a, a model of a Hyperloop. Actually, they were deciding escapes with 16 people. So it was very interesting. So the win part is that one. I still stick by my by my courts where you have to see to a certain extent, but not too far along. But that's really happening. But once this thing happens, how are you going to combine people's mobility from A to B, right? So are we going to use the same ticketing systems? Are we going to address in a different way? So that's where it comes in terms of the business model change. So Netflix, for example, we mm-hmm. don't rent videos or we don't get VHS cassettes anymore. We subscribe. We we get a service and then we sign up and we provide a certain amount of information and then we have access to the entire set of volumes of video that's there on Netflix. Can transit be used in such perspective, whether it's a, a public, a taxi, or Uber, or a Hyperloop? So service-enabled enterprises are getting faster and faster tractions. Even in the media world, we see one of them buying the other. In transit, there is this account-based ticketing where essentially you can transform the service into something that's consumable. So that's what uh, we, were, we, we, I mean, we are trying to do with a couple of our customers as well. Some are getting good. But the idea is, can we Netflix-size you know, transit? And I think it's a really powerful idea. And they have a name for it in, the, in our industry, account-based ticketing, which a lot of uh, different companies and, and industries in, in our sector are looking into in, in, in a deep fashion. So it's really powerful to combine those two. Yep. And it's exciting. I did look up the article. I hadn't heard that. The title in the Chicago Tribune yesterday, I believe, June 15th, is Headed to O'Hare. Musk's high-speed proposal would be fastest but not cheapest. Twelve minutes from the loop to O'Hare International in the comfort of 16 passenger vehicles zipping autonomously through underground tunnels. That's the idea presented Wednesday by Mayor Rahm Emanuel and billionaire tech entrepreneur Elon Musk's Boring company. I find that very funny how he named his company. Uh, when would it be ready? It's unlikely to be more than three years. And Musk says the ride will cost 20 to $25 or about the same as the Chicago taxi flat rate to O'Hare. The express train, which they're just calling X, just a capital X, would not be the cheapest way to get to O'Hare from downtown, but it would certainly be the fastest. So they're proposing the high-speed tunnel system. Very interesting. Thank you for that reference there, Santa. Uh, I'm almost ready to start the predictions round, but I'd love to get thoughts just very quickly from Isha first and then Rob on what Santa said, and then we're going to speed through talking about high-speed tunnels. We're going to speed through our predictions. So, Isha, what do you have to say about what Santa added, please? Would like to call the Netflixication of uh, of urban mobility. So indeed, the the, uh, the line with the uh, with Netflix is, is very uh, is very accurate. Uh, to give you an anecdote, in uh, November 2017, uh, we uh, made an experiment uh, where we worked together with 15 uh, different uh, companies where we tested uh, all kinds of uh, urban mobility uh, solutions. Um, I think 15 in total, uh, but today. Uh, um, 15 different uh, mobility solutions uh, means also 15 different applications on uh, your smartphone. Um, and uh, after a week of testing, we got a feedback, uh, which was almost unanimous, 
anonymous, which which was, okay, I have 15 applications on my smartphone, but I am only using two or three, maximum four of them uh, mm-hmm. in a whole week. And the biggest issue uh, is, of course, is because it is not uh, uh, connected. And if you uh, need to uh, need to use uh, different kinds of transportations uh, during one uh, ride, you always need to use it different uh, payment methods. So that mm-hmm. is, of course, also very, uh, um, very um, difficult to handle if you need to go from one uh, from one point to uh, to another. So a Netflixication of urban mobility, where with one uh, push on one button, uh, where you can order and pay uh, different types of uh, services in one go, uh, definitely would help uh, daily commute. Thank you very much. I have a feeling that was almost sort of kind of your prediction. Do you want to turn that into your prediction, or should I come back around to you for a real prediction? Isha? Uh, well, it probably will be my prediction that by 2030, we will have evolved our uh, Netflixication of urban mobility, yes. Thank you very much. That's good. Rob Romers, combine your prediction with quick comment on what Santa said, and I can give you about 90 seconds, and that's all. Go ahead, Rob. Um, I agree that I think the the services will become uh, more and more important in the future uh, as well. But the other thing that we really have to pay attention to, I think, is uh, we've been given this great inheritance by the people that came before us in the sense of a really nice uh, urban transport uh, na- uh, network. We shouldn't waste that uh, that great gift that they've given us. So it's nice to have new uh, players coming in there, but I think it should be a joint effort in the future, and it's not a versus versus. And, then we bring back to my prediction. I think we will, uh, in the next couple of years, see that there will be more and more partnerships uh, across public and private and even between private to come up with that uh, service industry that we need for the future. Thank you. That was so kind of you to talk about being grateful for what came before the, the start, the infrastructure. That's very, very nice, Rob. I, I just I said, oh, that's really, that's the smart city with a heart. That's what we talked about in the opening. And Senta Balai, who put together this wonderful panel and, and great topic. Senta, I can give you about 90 seconds and that's all we have left. So go ahead. What's your prediction, Senta? Uh, my prediction, thanks very much as well, Isha and Rob, for, for joining us. Absolutely delighted to be in town with you guys and really happy. Predictions, um, I think flying cars will not happen by 2030 for sure. I, that's my per- perception. <laughs> but I think transit systems will come together, whether individual operators or private operators. They have to end addressing the customer's need from A to B, and it won't matter, will be commoditized. So access to transport will be commoditized, but the interaction with the customer will be paramount. And from a services perspective, I think most operators will come together and provide services in, in a unison approach with slightly different amounts of service amongst each other. And then finally, from a prediction perspective, I think Europe has done a lot of advances in transit, and that's what Rob was mentioning. I think both the U.S. Uh, and, and Asia could learn a lot from Europe in terms of how transit has evolved, both from infrastructure and the service perspective. And I think there's a lot of learnings that, that we can take from, from the experience of Brussels. So that's, that's my Thank final remark. Thank you. And there's an article in Wired.com, uh, June 15th, and it's titled, 
Channel four reasons we don't have flying cars yet. So go take a look. I think it'll be very, very interesting. I want to thank our three panelists. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I learned a lot, and I know our audience will. Santa, again, thank you. And you're working with Marlon Zelkowitz, who is the sponsor of this series. Marlon, thank you. And Santa, you did a great job. Isha Lambrex at Bessie, B-E-C-I. Rob Romers at Stib-M-I-V-B. I got to do the whole thing. And Santa Bly at SAP. And I want to do a shout out to Matt, our engineer today. And here is my call to action. And it doesn't get any more appropriate than this. Fasten your seatbelt. Yeah, we're talking about transportation. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Isha Lambrex, just like Rob Romers, and just like Santa Bly. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day and buckle up. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game-Changing Smart Cities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.